Join me now in John chapter 13 as we go back into the upper room with Jesus. And I want to ask this question. Who is the most infamous person in all of the Bible? Think about the human beings described in the Bible. We have quite a list to choose from. We could think about some of the wicked kings like King Ahab and King Manasseh. We could throw in there that wicked queen Jezebel. We could think about others like Pharaoh or Herod or Pilate. And then there's the Apostle Paul, and he actually named names of false teachers in the churches doing great harm to the cause of Christ. We could throw their names into consideration. But the name that comes out at the top of the most infamous of all men in the Bible, it's Judas Iscariot. In fact, I would put him at the top of the list of of people all over the world at all times. The most infamous, the most despicable human being ever would be Judas Iscariot. So what about Judas? Well, his name is no problem. The name Judas is just the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Judah. There are a number of people in the New Testament with the name Judas. That's perfectly fine. What about Iscariot? That's also fine. That just literally means inhabitant of Kerioth. So that's just where he's from. But he's infamous. He's despised, really, in our minds because of this word, betrayal. It's the worst betrayal in all of human history by far. We could think of other examples. People might think of famously Julius Caesar betrayed by his friends. Or maybe more currently, we might think of some spy against our own country and they sold out to one of our nation's enemies. And we think that's just horrible. But Judas Iscariot far beyond them because he betrayed Jesus. From the privileged position of being one of the chosen 12 disciples, he rejected Jesus and handed him over to the enemies of Christ. And he could not claim ignorance. He spent such a long time in the presence of Jesus with eyes wide open, with a dead heart. He rejected Jesus. In fact, he even sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He sold Jesus to the enemies of Christ. One person said it this way. He betrayed the Lord of glory for a handful of money. So we're going to look at Jesus, rather with just Jesus. We're going to look at Judas today and his betrayal. And here's the prayer. Here is the goal from that, that you and I would look into the heart of Judas and say, I don't want any of that heart in me. In fact, I hope you'll have a reaction to this text today, that you'll react in such a way where you say, I want to make sure that I'm more faithful to Christ than ever. I want nothing in me of the hypocrisy that I just saw in Judas. I want to be fully, sincerely, completely faithful to Jesus going forward in response to this. We're going to talk about betrayal today. In our English dictionaries, we have a number of synonyms for that word betrayal. Here are some of the examples. Words like backstabbing, disloyalty, falsity, infidelity, treachery, treason. Another dictionary has words like this, bad faith faithlessness, falseness, duplicity, deception, double dealing, breach of faith, breach of trust, stab in the back, double cross, sell out, and then this one, Judas kiss. So infamous is the act of Judas that even in our secular dictionaries, they know about this one, a synonym for betrayal, Judas kiss. Is there a more painful experience that a human being can experience than to be betrayed? 
when you're betrayed, it's not some stranger that did it to you. The word betrayal is reserved when somebody you love and trusted, they turn on you. They do great harm to you. And so if you've ever had that happen to you, know that Jesus had it happen to him. In fact, it happens every day for Jesus. People around the world who once claimed the name Jesus, much claimed the name of a follower of Christ, of Christian, saying, now I don't believe that anymore. I'm rejecting what I once knew. That spirit is still around, that spirit of betrayal. So we're going to go back into the upper room with Jesus. If you remember, he has just washed his disciples' feet. He's taught them about that. And now he continues, verse 18. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his, his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus's side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. I want you to see, first of all, with me that Jesus knew the heart of Judas. Jesus knew the heart of Judas. Everybody else at that table is soon to be shocked that Judas would be such a hypocrite and a betrayer. Everybody else shocked. Jesus is not going to be shocked. He's telling them in advance about this. In fact, notice verse 18. He's wanting them to know, I intentionally chose Judas knowing what he was. Verse 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Now, we do know the Bible speaks about choosing. And in some contexts, it talks about a choosing for salvation, that whole idea of election. The Bible does teach that. But that's not what's going on in this context. Jesus is just making the point. I chose full well knowing his heart, knowing this action was coming, I chose Judas to be one of my disciples. In fact, he points out here that Judas's betrayal is fulfillment of scripture. He quotes from Psalm 41 here. Also, we know in the betrayal of Judas against Jesus, there is a fulfillment of Zechariah 11. Even the price that Judas received for betraying Jesus, those 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11 tells us about that. So what's Jesus doing here? He's telling his disciples so they would know in advance when he betrays me, you won't think somehow that I failed to discern this. This was not a mistake of mine that I failed to see something in him. I knew full well, Judas is fulfilling scripture. This was prophesied centuries ago that there would be this betrayal before I go to the cross. Jesus is not at all shocked or surprised. Now this is different from when you and I are betrayed. That's part of the pain of betrayal. 
is that we did not see it coming. I can't believe somebody I loved and trusted would do this to me. So some of you have had that ultimate betrayal in your lives, in your marriage, a spouse that was unfaithful to you. And it's just so painful on so many levels when you've had that happen to you. And I've walked with a number of you and others who've gone through that, that horrific experience, but blindsided is how you feel. And, and maybe the signs start to show up, and, but you've been deceived and misled and dealt so wrong. And, and a natural response to having that done to you would be thinking, you know, if I'd have known this was going to happen, I never would have married this person. I can't believe they did that. So that's a very normal, appropriate, I think, response in many cases. If I had known it was going to go this way, I would not have married a person who would do this to me. But notice what Jesus here with Judas, he's saying, I knew when I chose him, what he was, what he was going to do. This is not a mistake. This is not an accident. This is fulfilling prophecy. Now, what happened to Judas? Why would he do such a thing to Jesus of all people? Well, Judas was chosen as a disciple for this very thing. He had, he had opportunities to believe, but never believed. Think about Judas having a front row seat to all the glories of Jesus. We would have loved to have been one of the 12 to experience all that Judas got to experience, but he never believed. That's what we need to see, first of all. How did he do it? Well, he was never a genuine believer in the first place, though opportunities were plentiful for him. He saw the perfection of Jesus, saw the holiness of Jesus, the amazing love of Jesus. He got to see it, witness it. He was a recipient of the love of Jesus. He got to hear this great wisdom and knowledge of Jesus and yet never trusted in him as his Messiah. He was even able to witness the power of God working through the apostles as they were sent out to do work and yet never had believed in Christ. In fact, we're told in the scriptures that Judas really, deep down, he was a thief. We read about that early in the ministry. How about this? In John chapter 12, verse 6, we read of Judas, says he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Much earlier in ministry, we have these words. This is John chapter 6. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Jesus knew all along he was going to do this. John 17, we're going to come to in a few months when we get to that high priestly prayer at the end of this time in the upper room, Jesus is going to pray this. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Listen, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then we saw last week in John 13, 11, this, the, we're just making the point. Jesus knew what was in Judas from the very beginning, verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Wow. An important moment of application for us here. The lesson being this, make sure you know Jesus. Just being in the Christian community does not make you a Christian. Don't think that by attending church, that will save you. Because here's Judas. He's in the company of Jesus every day for three years. And just being around Jesus didn't make him one who knew Jesus or trusted Jesus for salvation. Don't think for a moment that church membership can save you. Don't think that serving in the life of the church can save you. Because didn't Judas serve? He was the treasurer. A dishonest treasurer. But he was serving. And he was a part of the, this whole mission and day after day being with him, that cannot save you. It's possible for a person to be around Christians, 
to know some things about Jesus, but not know him personally. It's possible for somebody to affirm some good things about Jesus, but not go all the way to trusting him as Savior. It's possible for a person to busy him or herself in ministry, but not know the Lord of ministry. And this helps explain for us sometimes these terrible falls that we see maybe with famous Christians out in the culture. Some time ago, not long ago now, we had the dramatic fall exposed of Ravi Zacharias. World-renowned apologist, benefited so many of us, but apparently something major was lacking in his relationship with Christ. We'll ultimately leave it to the Lord what to do with Ravi Zacharias. Was he a believer or not? But it's hard to imagine that he genuinely knows or knew Jesus when all of this sin came to light. So uh, maybe you don't know the story, but just in general terms, uh, lived a double life, a horrendous double life. Many episodes of immorality that he lived in, and nobody was aware. And when it started to come to light, a genuine believer would have been broken, would have been like, I, I, I admitted I'm ashamed. I can't believe I let myself get here. But when his sins started to come in light, he went on the attack and defamed those who are rightly accusing him of these things, used his organization to go on the attack. And so in more ugliness, even after um, some months of investigation, in fact, one of his former staff members said this, he was one of the greatest apologists of all time, and he was the greatest fraud. So again, we'll leave it to the Lord what to do with him. But, but I'm just saying, how shocked can we be when we see Judas in the presence of Jesus for three years, part of the inner circle? If Judas could betray Jesus and not be a genuine believer, then we can at least have a category for this. Okay, we've seen this before, even among Jesus's disciples. You may not know this name as well, but this one's also very shocking. A guy by the name of Joshua Harris he was a pastor for a number of years of a strong church and renounced his faith in Jesus entirely. On the internet, I read this. Harris was lead pastor of Covenant Life Church, the founding church of Sovereign Grace Ministries in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Listen, from 2004 to 2015. In 2018, Harris disavowed his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. That's fine. And discontinued its publication. The following year, Harris announced that he was separating from his wife and, quote, undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. And he had given up his Christian faith. In fact, in one of his statements after saying he was renouncing Christianity, he said, by any measure that you would use of a Christian, I'm no longer that. You think, well, how can that happen? How can you be a pastor of a strong, doctrinally sound church? And then come some years later, say, I, I don't believe any of that anymore. Well, we're shocked by that, rightly heartbroken by that. But we go back to the scriptures. And here we see a man by the name of Judas. It's possible for somebody to pretend and pretend quite well. It's possible for somebody to merely fill a role. It's possible for somebody to affirm some things about Jesus, but not affirm the most important thing. Oh, I surrender and trust in him as my savior. So Judas believed in Jesus, but in a way other than salvation. Let's ask this. Did, did Judas believe that Jesus existed? Certainly. Touched him, ate with him, traveled with him three years. He knew he existed. That didn't save him. Did he believe that Jesus did some good things? Certainly. He saw Jesus do good things, but he did not believe in him. He did not trust him as the Messiah. Did not believe that he needed Jesus to be his savior. So apparently 
Judas was a part of the band of Christians. He was one of the disciples with a different motive than sincerely trusting in this one. It is apparent that he was envisioning power and money for himself eventually would come if he followed after Jesus. He was looking for a political Messiah and what would be in it for him materially in this life. Here's how one scholar described it. This scholar said, Judas expected Christ to establish an earthly kingdom in which he would have an important position. Till all that happened, he was happy to enrich himself from the common funds. It undoubtedly troubled him to hear the Lord declare that this was a spiritual kingdom which none could enter except by the Father's enabling. The refusal of Christ to accept an earthly kingdom angered Judas, as did Christ's periodic reference to his death. The final incident which drove Judas to betray Jesus was the expensive anointing at Bethany, coupled with Christ's clear declarations, she did it for my burial. Seeing the end of his hopes and plans, Judas determined to sell his master for what he could get. Why would Judas follow Jesus only to betray him? Perhaps this is it. He wanted a different type of Messiah, had a different agenda in his own mind. I want a position of power and I want the money that would come my way. And yet Jesus said, I'm not about any of that. Jesus kept talking about sacrificing himself, talking about laying down his life for others. Jesus kept talking about my kingdom is not of this earth, but it is a kingdom of heaven. But what's notable here is, None of the disciples suspected it would be Judas who would betray. Such an incredible actor, such a gifted hypocrite that when Jesus said at this table, when he says, when he even says, it's the one I'm going to dip the morsel into and hand it to him. That's the betrayer. Nobody looked over at Judas. When he said first, somebody here is going to betray me. Nobody looked over at Judas. You know, he wasn't like, yep, I could see it in his eyes. I knew there's something about him. I know it's Judas. It's probably Judas. Nobody guesses. Even when he gets there from the table and leaves, everybody's thinking he's probably going to buy something for the feast. He's probably going to go give something to the poor. Such an effective hypocrite. It's terrible. And so this reminds us a person can be in church, can be in the community. We can't read the motives. We don't know what's going on in hearts. And even in a church like ours, there could be those that are here playing the part. It's just a role, faking faithfulness. And in reality, no genuine belief. A person can want a different Jesus than the one who is, as Judas did. Some people might say, here, here's the Jesus I want. I want a Jesus who loves only, but would never judge. Well, there's no such real Jesus as that. In my own personal quiet time in these days, I'm reading in the book of Revelation. And our Jesus is a Jesus who does love and who does say, but he is coming to judge. Quite striking. And so you can't have the real Jesus and strip away from him that he's a, a God who judges. He will love and save and he will judge. Some people might say, well, I want a Jesus that's not really necessary for salvation. So I'm trusting him, but other people don't need to. You're, everybody's going to eventually make it. That's not the real Jesus. Some people want a Jesus, maybe like Judas, who wanted an earthly kingdom. Somebody might say, I want a Jesus who will make me rich and healthy in this life. That's all I want from him. Make me rich and healthy. I want that Jesus but that Jesus doesn't exist. Or others might be this one. I want a Jesus who will let me be the Lord of my own life. I'll stay in charge. I'll be in the driver's seat. He'll be in the back seat. He can just sprinkle blessings on me. That's the Jesus I want, but that's not a Jesus who can save. You'll still be lost in your sins if that's the Jesus you want. That's a false idol. And so here's Judas wanting political power, wanting money, but he wanted nothing to do with a suffering servant. 
Judas was lost. He was around the Savior of the world, but never got saved. Well, let's see together now the role of Satan in Judas's betrayal. See with me the role of Satan, because when we hear the name Judas so often in the scriptures, we find the devil mentioned right there with it. Verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel, listen, Satan entered into him and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Also, we saw it in John 13 too, during supper, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas or Luke 22, we're told that at the very beginning, Satan was instigating this. We read this, then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. And who was a member of the 12, he went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and they agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the presence of a crowd. But Jesus knew this all along. John chapter six, did I not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. And then back to verse 27 here in our context. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. This betrayal was inspired and driven by Satan himself. But here we see, even with that, Jesus is still giving orders, isn't he? Satan comes into him, but Jesus still in authority. What you're going to go do, do it quickly. Jesus is aware. Jesus is in charge. But none of that makes Judas off the hook. Judas is still guilty for his unbelief. Judas is still guilty for the horrible actions he's doing and is going to do. And in his being disobedient to the Lord in these ways, he has opened himself up to be used by Satan himself. This is a warning for us as well. Maybe there's an area of your life where you've been excusing unfaithfulness to Christ. You've been excusing your disobedience. You think, you know, I kind of deep down do care for Jesus. And one day I'll probably follow him. But for now, I'm okay with me just having me time. This is how I live my life now. Don't excuse your disobedience. Understand your disobedience is being inspired by Satan. That's who's tempting you to be unfaithful to Christ. It's the evil one. And if you enjoy that and you rest in that, you're not troubled by that. You're giving, maybe you don't realize it, but you're giving more and more influence in your life to the evil one. Like we see in the life of Judas, it could go some very dark places when you just tolerate disobedience and you begin to walk a path of disobedience. It can take it some, take it some places maybe you didn't originally intend. And in the case of Judas, who was not a genuine believer, it went all the way to possession. So if you're a genuine believer in Christ, we can't be possessed by an evil spirit. We are already possessed by the Holy Spirit. We are temporal, temples of the Holy Spirit. We can't be possessed. We can be tempted. We can be harassed. But the evil one cannot come within us. But here's Judas. We're told that Satan entered into him. Now we also want to see that that betrayal was completed that very night. We're reading here as Jesus says, I knew all about him. I chose him. Satan has been a part of what is going on in the life of Judas. But it all transpires that very night. After they leave the upper room, they go into a garden. Judas having slipped away to get the people for the arrest. And here's how we read about it. We could look in John 18. We could look in Matthew 26. But how about Luke's version, Luke 22? While it was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. 
But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And of course, they arrested him. There was the unjust false trial and then the cross just hours later from that. Maybe you remember that Judas eventually did regret what he had done. Seeing how this was going, he brought the silver back that he was given and tried to give it back to the authorities. They said, this, we have nothing to do with that. And they went on with their actions. And Judas went out, we're told, and hanged himself. Well, it's good to see Judas having some regret, but it wasn't a saving faith that he had. He, he regretted, as the scripture says, well, I've betrayed an innocent man's blood. He recognized that Jesus was not worthy of the treatment he was getting. But that didn't mean that Judas had said, well, now I see that he was the savior and, and he was born again. Not at all. Judas was lost and remains lost. So now again, this difficult topic of betrayal. Let's think together now for the next few minutes. What does this mean to us? What, what should we do with this text? First of all, ask this question. Do you see any of Judas in you? Do you have any of that betrayal in your own life? Let me ask it on the positive first. Do you truly love and trust Jesus? Do you love and trust Jesus? Here's a way to ask it. Do you want Jesus? The real biblical, do you want him in your life? Or are you living a double life? Are you faking faithfulness? Are you disloyal to Jesus, but you are loyal to the world? So the life you live out during the week, it's all about chasing and following the world, but not at all concerned about faithfulness to Jesus. If that's you today, you can be saved today. You can be saved of hypocrisy. You can come to him, but you have to humble yourself. Lord, in the midst of all my sins and on top of all my sins, I've been a hypocrite. I've been faking faithfulness for this audience. And so Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me for all my sins. And you're the only one who can save me. You died on the cross for these sins. You were raised from the dead. I need to re repent of fake and put my full faith in you. He'll save you. The promise of the gospels for you today, if you'll repent of the hypocrisy, trust in Jesus. Jesus said you won't perish if you trust him, but you'll have everlasting life. Heed the warnings of scripture. These are good for our souls as believers. How about this one? Mark 8, this is the, word, the words of Jesus where he said this, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. How about the warnings of the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews written to Christians who are really struggling with persecution. Some of them thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to leave Christ and go back to the relative safety of Judaism. That's why the writer to the Hebrews, he says things like this, that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than all the angels, that the new covenant is more glorious than the old covenant. You wouldn't go back to that. But then these warning passages, if it were even possible for a person to turn away from the true gospel, to turn away from Jesus, to go back, these strong warnings, again, good for our souls to hear these Hebrews 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. 
For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Or Hebrews 6. For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Or Hebrews 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God? And who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Warnings, good for us to heed. And so this application, do you see anything of Judas in you? If you've been exposed to the gospel. You've been exposed to the teachings of scripture for maybe many years. And you say, you know what? I don't believe that. I'm going another direction. Is that not the heart of Judas in you? We can see this in people of all ages, but just by way of illustration, we have seen this in our young people before as we just watch them through the years. Of course, we love them, invest in them in the homes that are being pointed to Christ and through our ministries pointed to Christ. Some people don't even make it into high school and they're already saying, I don't believe that I'm rejecting. It's the heart of Judas. I've been around it. I understand it. I've heard the gospel. Don't want it. Heart of Judas. Some make it through high school. Maybe they keep up an act for a period of time. And then for some, it shows up when they get off out of high school into college, perhaps. And then they renounce. I don't believe it. There have been occasions where people go on social media, loving Christian homes, discipled well, taught well, but then the heart shows up and now without trying to keep up the act, I don't believe any of it and can be quite vicious in the rejection of Christianity. What is that? That's the same heart as Judas, exposed to it, taught, privileged to hear it, privileged to hear it, no excuse, eyes wide open, rejecting. Listen, we want to see to it. We don't have a heart like that, but then here Back to verse 20. This is where we'll close. This verse, we, we read it. We moved on. Now we'll come back to it because it almost doesn't seem to fit here. And yet it does. Verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Why is Jesus talking about sending and people receiving that? Well, here's a reminder, it appears, that in the midst of this betrayal and all the heartbreak that's coming with the rejection and the cross, Jesus wants their eyes still up on the sharing of the gospel. With all the hurt of watching this betrayal that they're about to see and experience, they're still to keep their eyes up on the mission that they have been given. And this is a good word for us as well. Even when we're heartbroken, even when people might storm away from Christ, even while others might drift away from Christ, we're to be grieved by that. We're to love and care, but at the same time, but we're going to keep our eyes on the mission, keep our joy in the Lord, keep our faithfulness to share this good news with a world who desperately needs to hear it.
recently I met with a student at James Madison University. In fact, Lauren and I were talking to this young lady. This, this girl is a junior at James Madison. And I was just interested what it's like to be a Christian on the campus of JMU, knowing it's a secular school and knowing the agenda would not be the agenda of Christ. And so I asked this young lady, and she's, she's a junior. She's heavily involved in CRU, the ministry formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And so this young lady, uh, she was very helpful in just giving us a read on what it's like to be a Christian on that campus. So I asked her questions like this. Do you feel like your faith is under attack here? And she said, yeah, your, your faith will be attacked here. She said, but it's not constant, but it, it happens. So then she just described how she walks for Christ there. And so she's involved in a great local church. In fact, I asked her, where do you go to church? She named one of our sister SBCV churches. I know the pastor of that church. I was delighted. She was plugged in there. So I love that church. So she's in, she's in a great church every week. Then she talked about crew and she talked about the different discipleship studies she's in with, a, with other girls there on the campus of JMU. And I thought, that's awesome. But then she shamed me and she didn't mean to shame me because I was thinking, all right, that's how you hang on. That's how you don't lose your faith at a school like that. But then she shamed me. She said, yeah. And on Fridays we go out and share the gospel. And I'll, oh yeah, <laughs> it's not just about surviving. Here's this bold young lady along with others from crew that go out on Friday nights and they use spiritual interest surveys and they engage in gospel conversations on the campus of JMU. So they're not just surviving and scared and let's not let anybody know we're really Christians here. They go out in love tactfully to share the gospel with friends. I thought, oh yeah, that's, that's what it's about. It's not just hanging on. And listen, I think that's what Jesus is getting out here for us. I think application of it anyway, verse 20, Jesus brings up the sending and people receiving and you know, there's always going to be people defecting. There'll always be people breaking hearts. But we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep being faithful. We keep loving him. We try to reach the ones who've fallen away. We'll never stop doing that. Oh, but keep your eyes up. Let's keep sharing the gospel. Don't we say it this way? We want to be rooted in the truth. But at the same time, we want to be reaching in love. Let's be bold even as we're faithful to Christ.